morning and happy Friday, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Jillian and I'm your host and I'm here with Riley, my co-host. Good morning, everyone. We are so excited to be on our fourth podcast um, and we're excited to have everyone here today. Um, So just a reminder, our goal is to bridge a knowledge gap between community-based physicians and decades of validated clinical research about dysautonomia and you know our mission you know where we're from um so just remember if you have any questions you can contact us through email at jillian at the dysautonomiaproject.org or by phone at 727-304-1547 all righty well let's get started and kick off the podcast the right way with coffee of course or whatever um you usually drink in the morning so if everyone wants to raise their glass mugs mugs up. up Remember to post a photo on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, tag us, and use the hashtag MugsUp. We would love to see everyone that's tuning in today. Today, we are going to chat a little bit about how POTS can be such a life-altering syndrome. So I'm going to start today off with a little quote that I found while doing some research. Svetlana Blitschetten, so I'm so sorry if I pronounce her name wrong, but she is a clinical assistant professor at the University of Buffalo School of Medicine and Biomedical Sciences and the director of the Dysautonomia Clinic in Williamsville, New York. So to quote what she said, Quote, POTS is typically not life-threatening, but it is life-altering, end quote. POTS can be such a scary thing, and I often receive questions from patients and friends of patients on the Dysautonomia Project's Facebook page asking if POTS is life-threatening. This is difficult to answer sometimes because one, I'm not a doctor or a medical professional, so I can't answer that question, and two, every case is so different, and I often don't receive the details about what each patient's going through. So I think this quote is a perfect answer to answer that question. To reiterate, quote, POTS is typically not life-threatening, but it is life-altering, end quote. So you all may be thinking, okay, that's great, but how is POTS so life-altering? You also hear of the few ways that POTS can change your life, but what specifically is going to change? Well, I honestly think the perfect person to answer that question is a POTS patient. So let's chat with former Miss Tampa, Morgan Boykin, about her journey with POTS and how living with POTS has changed her life. Morgan, welcome to the POTS cast. So what happened at the beginning of your struggle with dysautonomia? Um, Like, when did you realize something was wrong? How old were you? And what was happening in your body? So I was 22 at the time. Um, It was the beginning of the year, and it was, like, January, like, 2nd. It was a few days after New Year's. Um, And all of a sudden, I just started vomiting. Um, And at the time, I had, like, a lot of life changes. I just started a new job. Um, I had just come from a business trip um, from Washington, and so it was kind of one of those things where I thought um, I was just getting, like, sick. I was working with kids at the time, and so um, there was a lot of factors into the picture of not knowing. I was like, I probably just caught, like, a stomach bug or something. Mm -hmm. And so I started vomiting, and then that went on for, like, a week. And then I just got so dehydrated, basically, I needed to go to the hospital because I was like, okay, something's wrong kind of thing. I went to the hospital, and they gave me fluids, and they told me, oh, you probably just caught something, like have a stomach bug, and let it run its course. And so I was like, okay, well, the vomiting never stopped. Um, I went 28 days vomiting. Oh, my and gosh. Um, I was going to doctors, and they're like, oh, no, you probably just have a really severe case of the flu. Um, you know, it's really high right now and all this stuff. And so being that they were doctors, I was just like, okay, you know, um, right. all right. Well, then the vomiting got worse, um, and I started having really severe stomach pain and just, like, other um, mild symptoms. But it all, what I thought, I just thought it was, revolved around like a stomach bug um when I was in um Washington for the business trip I had ate like at a crazy um unique restaurant so I was like well maybe my body just doesn't like that and it's reacting to that type of food um and then it finally got to the point my parents were like there's something wrong like you don't go this long vomiting and I was losing weight um I lost 14 pounds wow. and um I'm really like slender individual to begin with <laughs> and so it really like put a hinder on my body and so they admitted me into the hospital at the time and they ran every single GI test you could possibly imagine um and everything came back fine they're like we don't know what's wrong with you and so um 
they were like, and once again, they were like, you know, it might be some type of bug, this and that. Um, sometimes they run longer. And, um, and so we noticed in the hospital, um, whenever I would have these episodes, that my heart rate would increase, um, like, excessively, really, really high. And so um, we would ask them, you know, why is my heart, like, why, why is my heart rate jumping to the high 200s when I'm having these episodes? And um, they would just tell me, oh, well, you're in the middle of bombing, and that causes your body to, you know, react and your heart rate to um, go higher. And so I was like, well, that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And so we kind of just, like, left it with that. Um, they ended up discharging me from the hospital, um, literally left still vomiting, still oh absolutely horrible. Um, but they were like, we don't know what to do at this point. And I, I was there for, like, four or five days. And uh, I had like 21 GI tests, uh, endoscopy, colonoscopies, like you name it. They did everything. Everything was fine. So my aunt was, it's kind of a really long story, but my aunt, <laughs> uh, she was telling me, she was like, you need to go see a cardiologist. That's not normal for your heart rate to go that high. And um, she was like adamant that I needed to go. Well, she kind of was like pushing the issue of go to a cardiologist, go to a cardiologist because like my dad has high blood pressure, um, other like heart issues running my family. And um, so it was that she was kind of just on that page. Like she could not get over the fact of like my heart rate in the 200s. And so reluctantly I went to the cardiologist just to kind of make her happy <laughs> about it. Um, and he put me on a heart monitor. And the, uh, he, it, they did the whole heart monitor test for, I think it was two days. And when he looked at it, he was like, what are, were you doing at two o'clock in the morning? And I was like, I was sleeping. Like, what do you mean? And um, he was like, well, your heart rate was in the high 200s in the middle of you sleeping. Wow. And so they, um, he put me on Midodrine and Propranolol at the time and told me that I was having problems with my blood pressure and said that my blood pressure was dropping um, whenever I was standing and that was what was causing me to feel the way I was um, although I never really got like a low blood pressure reading or anything mm-hmm. um, it was kind of like the first doctor that gave me an answer <laughs> and so we were like okay like let's try and see what happens um, and within being on the medication within four days I completely stopped vomiting wow. and so when you go from almost like a month and a half of vomiting to like not vomiting, I thought this doctor was a cure-all. Like he had all the answers. I was like, oh my goodness, like this is totally it. Um, and then I was like so thankful for my aunt because if it wasn't for her, I would have never went to that doctor to begin with. Mm-hmm. So I'm into pageants and I competed for the title of Miss Tampa. Um, when I, I was still sick whenever I competed for Miss Tampa. Um, to the point I didn't even know if I was going to be able to compete that morning because I just every it seemed like almost every two hours I was vomiting during the pageant I literally ran off the stage and vomited three times (laughs) Um, and so but I was like determined I had worked so hard for like competing that year I was like I'm not going to let this get in the way like it's literally going to knock me down before I can't compete and so I ended up winning which was a blessing Um, but (laughs) once you win a local like that you go on to Miss Florida so Miss Florida with the Miss Tamperport we train really hard in the gym um I'm a competitive baton twirler I've been twirling since I was seven years old and um I spent like 16 hours in the gym practicing and then I began really really active in the gym working out and I've never really worked out in my life I've always been like active and fit but never like weight training fit if that makes sense Mm -hmm. and so um I started I like fell in love with it and I started going to the gym like four to five days a week um so I was probably in the best shape of my like entire life I've never been like that you know actively into the gym and twirling and just everything in general and so I was good for a few months um competed at Miss Florida and felt great never really I never had any problems um I got back from Miss Florida and I took it was nine days off of the gym just to, like recuperate and um you know not twirl just to like calm my body down that Tuesday um I went back to the gym and that was the very first time I passed out and mm-hmm. so we kind of thought well maybe I had overdone it even though 
I knew I hadn't been in the gym, so it wasn't like I walked in there and ran 15 miles. You know, I was smart about my decisions, but I just thought, well, maybe my body's just reacting to not working out in those days um, because it was like every single day doing it. So I passed out once on that Tuesday, and the doctor was like, oh, you probably just, your blood pressure just probably really dropped really low. Um, you know, if you get better, you know, it'll be okay. And so that, it got worse day by day. Um, that Thursday, I passed out at baton practice mm-hmm. and to the point where I was out for like 15, 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, like, they couldn't get me to, and I started like turning blue, like I wasn't breathing. Mm-hmm. And so um, they called, you know, um, the ambulance and they came and got me and took me to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Again, they're like, we don't know what's wrong with you kind of thing. Um, and I like snapped out of it. And then by that Saturday, um, they discharged me by that set. I went back home that Saturday. I was passing out over 30 times a day. Oh my gosh. Um, and so I couldn't move. I couldn't stand. I, I literally couldn't fix the covers in my bed, um, without passing out. And so my mom called my doctor and was like, we don't know what's wrong. Like we were keeping him up to date, but she was like, it's gotten significantly worse overnight and we don't know what to do. Well, he thought I was having a stroke. Um, and so he was like, rush her to the hospital right now, rush me to the hospital. Um, and when I got there, they did every single, I mean, once again, all these tests, everything, and they couldn't, they were like, we don't know what's going on kind of thing. So they wanted to run more tests, do different blood tests, um, and everything, do EKGs, EEGs, um, you name it. And everything, once again, was coming back fine. I was there for four to five days. Um, and the doctor came in and he basically, um, told me that he didn't know what was wrong with me. Um, that mind you, my, like I said, um, blood pressure issues run in my family and my dad has really high blood pressure. So my dad has seen this doctor for like 15 years. So it wasn't like just like a random doctor. Like this was a doctor that like knew my family for like a long period of time. Um, he came in and he was like, we don't know what's wrong with her. Um, take her to Mayo, take her to, um, the, um, Shands. He was like, maybe they can figure it out. He was like, honestly, I think that you just need to have, her friends over and get a pizza and maybe bring like more positivity to her life. What? Yeah. And so, um, my parents really didn't like that because they were like, you know, we know this isn't Morgan. We know something's wrong. And he was more so leaning towards the fact of that. I was like in a depression type thing. Mm. Um, and so he even made the joke. My dad was like, well, how do you expect us to get her out of here? Because like, she can't sit, like I couldn't sit up in bed. I was I had to like be supplied the entire time without passing out, and he made the joke. He was like, "Well, do you have a crane?" And started like laughing. What? And yeah, and so like my parents like were very unhappy, and they're like, "He was like, well, we'll we'll discharge her in the morning," and my mom was like, "No, like if you're sitting here telling us all this, like discharge us now, and we'll head to Mayo. We'll head somewhere to get answers." So they discharged me. I literally passed out in the elevator, um, like leaving in a wheelchair because I mean, I couldn't even sit up. I passed out. They like freaked out and, um, called code blue on me oh and they were like, we have to take you to the ER. Like this isn't normal. This and that. I was like, well, I wasn't cause I was out of it, but my family was like, you, they literally just discharged her. Like you don't understand. Like this is what we've been dealing with and they're telling us she's fine. So we left and we started heading north because I'm from Tampa. Mm-hmm. Um, we started heading north and going towards um, the Mayo Clinic or Shan, just whichever one we could get there the fastest and whichever one would take us. Well, just with him being in the car, I passed out four times. Mm-hmm. So um, we, my mom turned the car around and they took me to Tampa General just because that was the closest hospital. And um, Tampa General is a very well-known hospital. And so... I went to Tampa General, and I was there for five weeks. Um, they, once again, could not figure out what was wrong with me. They did every single test you can imagine. They thought I had Addison's disease. Um, they were coming up with all these, like, different um, 
diseases and just sicknesses and conditions. POTS was never once in the question. Dysautonomy was never once in the question. Um, before any of this, I never even knew what any of that was. And so um, they would tell me we've never seen anything like this. And so at the time, I didn't understand because I was getting, it was like I was getting so much worse in the hospital. And I remember saying, I don't understand, like, I'm with doctors, I'm with nurses, I'm in the hospital, and I'm getting, like, worse. Mm -hmm. And so, but they were taking my medications away as well. So, they were like, your blood pressure is fine, so why are you on a low blood pressure medication? I'm like, I I don't know. Like, I don't know, that's just what the doctor put me on, and I got better. Um, I, you know, told them the whole vomiting story. And so they took me off that. They're like, well, your blood pressure is fine. You don't need to be on this medication. Took me off of it. Well, now, knowing what I know about everything, like the second use for midodrine is blood pooling, which is a huge problem. I mean, the problem with POTS. And so knowing what I know now, I know that it was surviving that symptom and not the blood pressure. And so they, I was in the hospital, they did all the testing. Um, I did a tilt table test and they when they, I was flat, my heart rate was 57, and when they raised me, my heart rate jumped to 174 within seven seconds. Wow. And so, obviously, I passed out. Um, and they knew that I failed the test, but they were like, well, you failed this test, but we don't know what that means. <laughs> and so, um, they would literally, when I tell you that like they had never seen anything like it, um, Tampa General is a really good teaching hospital. And so they would bring residents in because whenever I would literally pass out and I would get unbelievable headaches afterwards. And so they would have to give me like medication for the headache. Well, the medication made me like, like fall asleep. Like it would knock me out. And so I remember they would come in 45 minutes before I was due for like my next round of medication and they would be like we have a new set of residents and is it okay if we you know show them what you do and like sit you up so that they can be exposed to it well at the time I was like yeah like if it'll teach people like if they could see it because y'all are saying you don't know what's wrong with me basically just like trying to get them that teaching experience like show them what I was doing but then it kind of became like overly like they were doing it way too much and ever like literally every four hours they were bringing like a new set of residents and then like I almost mm-hmm. felt like it was like a guinea pig <laughs> like oh let's sit her up and see what she does and then she'll pass out and then okay we'll bring the next one around like and so um my mom was actually the one she um looked up when you will do fail um tilt table test and you you know your heart rate exceeds what does that mean and it came up POTS. Hmm. And so uh, my mom's seen that, and she actually came across the Dysautonomia Project, and she seen Christina's story, and um, it kind of, like, hit my mom like a brick because she was like, literally, this is everything, like, I was do- it was everything I was doing. So she mentioned it to the doctors, and she said, you know, I found this thing on the Internet because um, my mom's very adamant. Like, she doesn't take no for an answer, which I'm so blessed to have that. But mm-hmm. she... Um, she was like my biggest advocate at the time because literally I was like, I was very well, like I couldn't do anything. Like I was so worn out and exhausted by that point. I mean, passing out literally every five minutes, um, it takes a toll on your body. And so I was pretty much out of it. And the doctors told my mom, Oh no, that's really rare. Um, we've never, we never see anything like that. So we highly doubt that it's that. And so my mom's like, okay, well, you know, it's, you know, on the internet like it's saying like this is it can we just like look into it further oh no it's rare so my mom being the way she is she contacted um the dysautonomia project herself and um i can't remember who she got in contact with first um but she got in contact with miss lisa roker Mm -hmm. and um she they were like you know she told them what was going on what we know my whole story, how I've been in the hospital all this time, and they can't figure out what was wrong with me. That night, Miss Lisa came to the hospital. That very, like that, that same day, that night, she came to the hospital. Um, and to this day, it's like still like the biggest blessing because like she didn't know me. You know, my like the Dysautonomy Project knew nothing about me other than what my mom told me, and they kind of like took me in. Um, and Miss Lisa came. She brought books. Um, I remember she brought like the Himalayan salt and um, <laughs> like high on water and um 
and she was like, yeah, you know, this is this thing called POTS, and started just sat down and talked to us, and was, like, the most informative um, individual that we had, like, heard or seen of um, within my, like, six weeks of being in the hospital, and so um, she was like, I'll talk to the doctors, here's a book, this and that, the doctors came by, and um, she talked to them and told them all about POTS, um, what I was doing, and basically educated the doctors right there with me in the hospital bed. Um, and so then she, I, I think it was Miss Lisa, um, somehow my, my like, um, doctors got in t- touch with Dr. Raj, mm-hmm. um, and they started working with him. Um, and basically he was like, if she does put her on this, this, and this, if she does this, this, and this, then she, I'm telling you, she has pots. Like, this is what I do. I'm a specialist. And you know, she like, that's what it is. It's this autonomia. So the doctors still, they were like, um, they weren't very fond on having to listen to another doctor. <laughs> and, um, I think they kind of did it to the point like, well, we know it's not this, but we're going to prove you wrong kind of thing. Right. And, um, then they did exactly what Dr. Raj told them to do. And um, I went, my symptoms didn't get better. I mean, they got better, but it wasn't like they were gone. Um, and so, like, just little things. He was like, well, if she does this. If her pupils are dilated, if she does this, you know, and so on. And everything was leading on to POTS. And so, um, at the time, they still didn't want to put me back on the Midodrin. Um, Although, I remember Dr. Raj, like, telling them they would talk over the phone and I remember him saying, um, you know, Mediterranean's used for blood pulling. Oh, well, she has no problems with her blood pressure. And they were, like, explaining that. And I remember, like, begging the doctors because I was still vomiting. And um, I was begging them, like, just put me back on the medication. And if I don't stop vomiting, then we know that it, it doesn't work. But before it worked. And I was like, if you're right, prove me wrong. <laughs> and if I'm right, let me prove you wrong. Because I was just, like, so, like, desperate to, like, stop vomiting and um they put me back on the midodrin and sure enough within um like a week I completely stopped vomiting and so um I was there for another like week after they finally like diagnosed me um with POTS and they were trying to get me transferred bed to bed to Vanderbilt um just because they said I was very severe and um that, you know, Dr. Roger was like, well, this is a very, like, atrophic case and et cetera. Um, and, but I never, uh, Vanderbilt was, like, very backed up, and I never was able to get put into Vanderbilt. And so we started calling and was put on a waiting list um, at all the different dysautonomia clinics with Dr. Raj, um, with Dr. Barboy, and, like, Dr. Grubb. Uh, I, my mom still has a voicemail on her phone. Dr. Grubb called and left a voice. Well, his nurse left a voicemail on my mom's phone and was like, it'll be two to three year wait um, to get her in, but we'll go ahead and put her on the waiting list. And at the time we were like, what do you mean two to three years? Like, that's like a long time. And like, I can't even roll over in bed right now um, type ordeal. And so I ended up getting discharged. And, and at that point I was in my wheelchair um, although my symptoms got better, I was able to sit up. Um, I had a reclinable wheelchair, but I wasn't able to just sit like at like a 90 degree. I had to like lean it back. Um, and it was almost like the doctors were comfortable. Like I wasn't passing out. Like I was able to sit up and I wasn't able to do that before. And it was almost like they were like comfortable with that. Like, Oh, you made progress. Like, okay. So um, I remember I was, I left when I was leaving the hospital, they were like teaching me how to work a wheelchair, um, and like going in the hallway and, you know, this is how you drive it forward. This is how you do this. This is how you do that. And I remember being like so upset because I was like, like, is this what my life's going to entail? Like I literally went from being a 22 year old that was active in the gym five days a week, 20, 16 hours on top of that to not even being able to roll over in bed. And so, um, it like hit like emotionally because like that's really hard to deal with and they were basically like content and not telling me but like doing everything but saying that like you know I was going to spend um the next amount of time in a wheelchair and so um I was in a wheelchair for six months after um I got discharged I this would all happened in um July and so the end of July into August, um, 
was when like this occurred. Well, my mom was Dr. Barboy. I had an appointment with Dr. Barboy in February. So this was like August. Um, my appointment was in February. Well, my mom just being the way she is, she called every single day asking them, um, do you have any cancellations? Do you have any openings? Do you have, you know, anything that anything come up? And they were like, no, ma'am. Um, you know, her appointment's in February and so on. So the next day she would call. I'm just calling to make sure that there's no, like, cancellations. Like, we'll get her there within, like, the next week. You know, if anything came up. Um, and no, no, no. And so at the in the meantime, I had home help coming out. Um, they were giving me, um, they were just, they weren't even really doing anything. They were just, like, checking up on me pretty much. Um, and I was still passing out doing everything but just not as bad my vomiting subside but like if I set up too quickly um I couldn't really walk I was on a bedpan for six months because I couldn't get up to go to the bathroom pretty much bedridden um and so like I said every day my mom would call well finally um my mom I guess the nurse was walking by the scheduling lady and the lady was like hold on a second and she told um Dr. Barboy's nurse um, this lady calls every single day asking if there's a cancellation. Is there anything we can do to get her daughter in? And the nurse got on the phone and um, was like, what's going on? Like, you know, what's what's the deal, basically? And my mom told her, you know, we spent six weeks in the hospital and they didn't know what was wrong. They finally diagnosed her and she can't sit up. She can't stand. She can't do this. Like, just everything. And she said, can you be here in two weeks? Wow. And so... Uh, my mom was like, absolutely. And so my, my appointment was September 21st. And so then the next big trick was how was I going to get there? Because um, if I fly on like a normal plane and I was to pass out, which is almost guaranteed at this point, um, they're going to pull the plane down and they're not going to go for that. Um, they talked about medevacing me, um, but medevacing is very, very expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so finally we decided uh, my family has an RV and um we literally drove our rv from tampa to chicago wow and so um we left like five days before because i had to be uh, like come off of all my medication and so we left a few days before so whenever i got there because i knew it was only going to get worse when i came off the medication Mm -hmm. so we went a few days before um and then i came off my medication and i ended up right back where i was um like, you know, the vomiting, passing out every second, like, it was just horrible, and so, seeing Dr. Barboy, he's absolutely incredible, um, he, like, truly changed my life, um, and I remember he made the joke, and he said, um, wow, you guys came here all the way from Florida, you know, there's other clinics closer, like, me, was joking around about it, and we were like, well, you were the only one that we could get into, and so on, well, um, they started doing autonomic testing, and they did the tilt table test and um, the uh, balsamic maneuver and or test and the um, like slide, just doing all the autonomic testing. And my, I, I will never forget. Doctor Barboy was sitting at the chair talking to my parents, just like you know. So what's going on? Like what has happened? And my mom was telling them like all like my story basically. And the tech was sitting there doing the test, and. Um, the tech kept trying to like interrupt and was like, Dr. Barboy, Dr. Barboy, Dr. Barboy. And he was like, I don't mean to interrupt you, but you need to come see this. And so Dr. Barboy got up from his um, bar stool and walked over and sat at the computer. And he was started typing and doing all this stuff, like going like frantically on the computer. And he kept going, Oh my word. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, oh my word. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, what in the world does that mean? Like, you know, you're, I'm sitting there doing these tests, and you're like, freaking out. Yeah. And um, he, like, turned and looked at me, and he goes, now I know why you came. And, um, I mean, I did all the testing, and I ended up passing out. Just everything, I, like, everything that they say could happen with those tests, I pretty much did it. And um, he got done with the testing, and he looked at me, and he said, well, you definitely take the prize for being the most severe patient I've ever seen. He said, I've never seen anyone with um, dysautonomia like you have it. And I, like, busted out in tears because, like, I finally got an answer. Like, yeah. it was very relieving. Um, and so he, um, he was like, now I know why you came. Like, I'm so glad you came. And he was like, we're going to help you. Aww. And so um, 
that was like really encouraging because that was like the first time that um, I had like a doctor tell me that they were gonna help. And so he um, he told me basically explained step by step like what my body was doing and um, told me I did like the um, I think it's the balsamic test where like they do the breathing mm-hmm. and that was horrible <laughs> like one of the worst things I've ever done it was so hard um, I couldn't I like couldn't do it and so I was like is that normal like I don't understand like I I'm only 22 and I can't even breathe into a thing and he was like well that just shows how bad you have dysautonomia he was like because I have 90 year olds coming here and they can pass this test with no problems wow. and I was like wow like that was kind of like the reality like right then and there like a 90 year old can't do about 22 and so I was just like so thankful that um we like got into him and so he put me on different medications and um he was like you need to be put on this you need to come off this you need to do this basically was with us for like two to three hours just telling me exactly what I needed to do the medications and just everything and um I ended up going back home and well I did like blood tests went back home and within like a month or two um I was finally able to like walk again and so um that was like the best feeling ever um but it was all because like Dr. Marvoy and so um still to this day like I'm in contact with him and um if I ever need anything um, my mom emailed them and they email right back and he like literally changed my life. And so, um, all the, like, it was just baby steps. Um, I would literally get like so excited because I was able to walk from like my room to the bathroom, which is like right across the hall, like from my bedroom, I can see the bathroom. And then I was able to walk from the couch to the car and just, you know, just doing like little by little. And then finally by like February, um, my birthday's in December. I mean, not February. I'm sorry, December. Um, my birthday, a few um, days after my birthday, I was like, my goal was to take um, like 35 steps, and I finally did that without my wheelchair. And so um, it just got better from then on out. And so um, by February, I um, was giving away my crown as Miss Tampa because when all this was going on, I was still Miss Tampa. Mm -hmm. And, um, my biggest thing was I didn't want to have to, um, give my crown away in my wheelchair. Um, so that was like my ultimate goal. And so I worked like really hard, like just like doing the little steps little by little to like get to that point. And, um, at Miss Tampa, um, I was able to crown without my wheelchair and I was able to twirl um, not like a full thing or anything they I literally twirled for like 16 counts which is like nothing but um, literally like that moment like meant the world <laughs> um, just because like twirling has been a part of my life for seven years I mean since I was seven years old yeah. and um, at the time like I was USF feature twirler. I, I was going to school at University of South Florida and was twirling every football game, um, every pregame, every athletic event, and I had to, like, step away from that. And so um, in February, I was able to twirl only for, I mean, what seemed like nothing, but, it, like, it was the meaning behind it. And so um, from then on, I've just slowly been working at it and making progress, and um, that was kind of, like, how my story like became it's a really long story but um but and now knowing what I know um there was little things that I've done since ninth grade like knowing what I know now about POTS and dysautonomia um I know that there was symptoms and signs Mm -hmm. since like ninth grade um but I just didn't know um I remember I would always get sick after eating and feel like I was like every everything that I do now um I basically did years before, but not to the extent of passing out, just feeling like I was going to pass out. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember I would always get sick after eating, and I would not like have to leave class and go to um, the bathroom because I, I knew I was going to get sick. And um, it got to the point my teacher like wouldn't let me go. She was like, you know, you could leave every single day, like you're not, you can't leave again. 
and I full-blown got sick right there in the classroom, and she kind of learned, like, okay, like, something's going on, and it was kind of actually not comical, but um, we found, like, humor in it because um, there was one time in ninth grade I went on a um, trip, a field trip with my agriculture teacher, and I ended up passing out in the bathroom, and we didn't know why, but they, we kind of thought that I had, like, hypoglycemia kind of thing, like, we just, like, blamed, like, my symptoms on that, like, oh, I'm hypoglycemic, even though, like, I never, like, had, you know, had any, like, low readings or anything like that, and um, I ended up passing out, and he, like, freaked out, and I was, like, really close to that teacher, and he was, like, you know, you're never going alone on, on to the bathroom again, because I passed out in the bathroom, well, about two weeks ago, I was going through my yearbook and just, like, looking back on just, like, different high school memories. And in my yearbook, he totally wrote in my yearbook, um, don't ever pass out on me again. Oh, and um, just knowing where I'm at now, I, like, texted him and I sent a picture of it. I was like, if only you knew what POTS was at the time. I was like, you could have diagnosed me right then and there. And um, we just thought that was so, like, ironic. Like, I mean, that was so many years ago. And now, I mean, almost 10 years ago. And now you know here I am with pots passing out and so um it's just been like a crazy journey but now that I know what I know I know that there was other symptoms um prior to everything happening I think it's just like my body kind of um hit its hit the wall you know and just it, I was like just at, at an extreme and so um It'd be interesting. I wish I could go back <laughs> to like ninth grade and knowing what I know now and just see like. Um, the man- managing the symptoms if I could do some of the things that I know of now uh, just to see what you know where things would go but um, but I know for sure like there's no for me there's like no questions of um, whether or not I did stuff years prior just not as severe towards my pots was there any so. like sickness or virus or anything that like prompted um, any of your symptoms well, see, that's what's so hard um, for me because they say sicknesses, they say concussions, um, they say, like, major surgeries, like, anytime yeah. your body's been down, and I've literally had every single one of those. Um, I've been majorly sick before, um, and I've had three concussions, well, now four concussions. Uh, prior to all this, I had had three concussions within a year. Um I had a major surgery. I had a parotid gland tumor in my left parotid gland. And so I had to have that removed my junior year of high school. Um, And so, like, there's so many different factors. um, And they've done so many blood tests. They thought, they, Dr. Barboise thought for sure he was like, um, being that I'm so severe, as they say, Mm -hmm. um, he says that he thinks that there's like, you know, um, another like, condition or like an autoimmune disease affecting um Mm -hmm. everything just because I am so severe but all the blood tests that I've had um everything has been negative and so but a lot of times with autoimmune diseases too they say you can get false negatives and so um whether or not it's just not showing I don't know but um I'm just I I just try to manage the symptoms of what I know now um and so I they say to you that you sometimes never know the answer, which is kind of like, you know, no one would, I, I would love to know what caused it. But um, for me, myself, like, I try to focus on getting better. <laughs> um, I would mm-hmm. rather focus on, you know, doing what I need to do now rather than focus on because I can't go back and change what's happened. Right. Um, and so I'd rather just move on and um, manage my symptoms. So. So you said you were 22 when this started. Was this like mm-hmm. a long time ago or is it kind of Well, over... I'm 23. So, oh, okay. So it's um, very recent. Yes, very, very recent. So wow. it's been like a little over a year now um, wow. since everything happened. In July was a year um, since everything, like once started, when I got started the whole passing out and um, the severity of it. So it's been like over a year. Wow. So yeah, it's very recent. And what's crazy to me, I think, one of the biggest things is they say the average it takes for someone to get diagnosed with this autonomia or POTS is five to six years. Mm-hmm. And I spent all in all, I spent six weeks in the hospital, um, not knowing answers and like not knowing what was wrong with me. And I thought at that time that like, that was horrible. Like it was horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and so like all I can think of like although like my story, it's really a long story but like you know everyone's like you spent six weeks in the hospital and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with you and I'm just like honestly I feel more like grateful um that it only took me that long because Definitely. there's no way that like I could I mean I couldn't imagine going five to six years passing out and just hearing other now that I've gotten in contact with other like POTS patients and become like really close friends within the POTS community and I hear some of these stories and I'm like I like although I I was in the hospital six weeks like I cannot imagine going years um feeling this way so I think that's like it's absolutely crazy to me to think that people go that long even though you know those six weeks I thought like it was like I don't want to say the end but like you know I mean like it was a lot to deal with and um you know I just I can't imagine having to go longer and and majority of the POTS patients do that so it's crazy to me definitely so every day now do you see yourself um better or do you think it's still Mm -hmm. kind of like a mixed bag um I'm sure you still have your days oh yeah well I think for the most part I've I've learned my body and so now I know um when I look down and see that my feet are purple that it's not just my feet are tired it's you know my blood pulling um Mm -hmm. I know I know I know my body and I know what I can do and I know what I can't do and so I mean I'm on my medications but I would say that I'm I'm obviously better. I'm out of my wheelchair. I'm walking. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want I would more say more so say that I'm managed um, because without a doubt I still have my bad days. Um, I mean, just two weeks ago, um, I hit one of my the worst crashes that I've hit had had since um, when the hurricane hit Hurricane right. Irma. I was really bad during that. Um, but I think, like, all the POTS patients here were. Yeah. Um, and, but since then, that was, like, my, like, first time that, I, like, just randomly I hit a bad um, spurt. And um, I actually ended up passing out and um, in my hallway and hit my head. Um, I fell face first and hit my head and ended up with a concussion. And so um, people see me now and they see me walking and trying to get my life back um but it's invisible so people right. you know they're like oh wow I would never even know like you know you were sick I would never even know that you spent six weeks in the hospital I would never know you were in a wheelchair and I'm like you don't see it but um I definitely know my body more now um to know when I get a bad headache okay I need to do um IV saline when I feel this way well I need to do this um I know when I get a shower, this is, it's like the little things like the showers are like, I mean, obviously we know they're horrible for POTS patients Mm -hmm. and I all, we like, I mean, you have to find humor in the little things, but I always found it like so mind boggling. Like people before I was diagnosed with POTS, they would love getting showers. Like they were like, Oh, they're so relaxing. I've had struggled with showers for such a long time. Like I would always be like, I don't understand why y'all just love getting showers or like hot baths I was like because like it's miserable to me I would literally get a shower and have to come lay down before I could even get dressed before pots and I was like I don't understand like how are they relaxing to you guys and then now I'm like oh well that was just my pot like I definitely was pot symptoms that I was experiencing but now like now when I get a shower rather than feeling like I'm gonna pass out afterwards I use a shower chair every night and so um like I said, I think it's more so managing my symptoms and knowing what I can and can't do. If I know if I have a big day the day before, then I need to spend the next day in bed. Um, so whether or not it's getting better or I'm just managing my symptoms, I certainly still have my bad days and my moments for sure. But, um, you know, I'm more on top of my symptoms and knowing my body, obviously, than I did before. Definitely. So mm-hmm. in your day-to-day life now, um, I know that you have your boutique on Facebook, yes. um, but do you have any other hobbies? Are you going to get back into pageantry? Yeah. So last year, um, actually, I decided I wanted to compete um, again just because um, I didn't know if it was going to be. I didn't know. Um, I'm really big in my faith, and I didn't know if the Lord was going to allow that to happen, mm-hmm. um, but 
I've never been one to like sit back and I've always been um, a busybody. And so for me, I, I was in Tampa um, for about six months and then the rest of my six months, I got sick to pots. And so my biggest thing was um, everyone, like all my, the people in the pageant world knew that. And so um, for me, I wanted to overcome that. I didn't want to be the girl with pots. You know, I wanted right. to be the girl that overcame it. And so, um, in the end of February, when I, um, after I gave my crown away, I did not know. <laughs> I was like, you know, we're going to try this. Um, someone, they had the, I ended up competing for Miss Osceola. Um, the board reached out to me and they were like, you know, we know everything that you're going through, but if you're interested in competing, we want to know that we're welcoming you. And, um, you know, we would love for you to compete, um, health conditions or not. And so I brought it up to my mom and my mom was like, you've lost your mind. Like you're crazy. (laughs) You know, you're going to compete. And I was like, no, like, you know, why couldn't I? And so she was like, no, like, you know, I don't, I think we just need to give it a little more time. So I was like, okay, well that was like a Monday. And, um, I was like, it was still in my head. And I mentioned to her, that was Monday, by like Thursday night, she was like, um, I was like, so how mad would you be if I competed? Like, I know you don't want me to, but how mad would you be if I actually did it? Um, And she was like, I don't, like, what are you going to do? Like, how are you going to do this? Like, whatever. And um, that following Wednesday, paperwork had to be in. And... I, and then I went back and forth and, I, and prayed about it. And I was like, you know, if it's not meant to be for me to go to Miss Florida, if it's not meant for me to even compete, like if my body's not going to be able to handle it, as horrible as it sounds, like my body won't allow me to do that. Like if I get there and I start passing out and not being able to handle it, that'll be like God's way of telling me like this isn't in your plan. Right. And so um, I like told my mom that. And she was like, okay, like, you know, if you want to do it, then do it. And so... Um, I literally decided that Wednesday, like that Thursday, I was talking to her about it by that Wednesday. Um, I was like, I'm going to do it. If something happens that I can't do it, then they'll just pull me out and it won't be that big of a deal kind of thing. So, um, I competed that Saturday and like I said, I'm a baton twirler and that's like the only, I mean, not that I'm not talented, but like that's the (laughs) only, like, you know what I mean? Like that was my talent. So Mm -hmm. that was like the big question of you know, what am I going to do for talent? So, um, I twirled to God bless the USA, the slowest song I could find. (laughs) And, um, I like choreographed my own routine to where I didn't do any spins. I didn't do any jumps. Um, I didn't put my head down to where I had to flick it up. Um, it was the most like laid back juvenile beginner routine I've probably ever done in my life. Um, but I did it and I ended up winning. And wow. so, um, to me, that was like God's way of saying, like, you can do it kind of thing. And so, um, it was a totally, obviously different approach than my years before, mm-hmm. um, because my body, you know, just dealing with pots and knowing that I can't spin, like I couldn't get in those hours in the gym and I couldn't, um, twirl like I used to and just a totally opposite approach of, um, before, but, um, I feel like. I more so I wanted to do it to um, prove pots wrong you know like that was my focus like everyone knew my pots story and everyone knew like I was in a wheelchair and then they just they knew everything about it and um, I was like you know now that I have this journey and this experience within everything else you do a private interview um, when you do these pageants you have a 15 minute interview and I was like, you know, if I can use my story to just educate five random stranger about POTS, um, because I know it's going to be brought up because that's my life now. Like, mm-hmm. it's my life, and it's altered my life, and it's just who I am, um, then I want to do it. And so um, I competed at Miss Florida this past year, mm-hmm. and sure enough, my POTS story got brought up, and I was able to talk to them. And whether or not they took something from it, um, the way I look at it is there was five random strangers that heard the words postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome and um to me like that was all worth it and so competed at um, Miss Florida um I you know did everything I needed to do to manage my body um and then I'm thinking about competing I'm actually competing in um 
January 20th, I'm going to compete in my next local. Um, and I want to do that because I feel like last year the focus was beating pots, beating pots, beating pots. Like that was all I was concerned about was mm-hmm. proving pots wrong. Um, and so I want one more year to focus on me with pots, you know, like my new lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I'm not so much focus what pots has done for me. Um, but what I can do with pots now. So, um, although I can do pageants now, it's just a totally different approach. Um, last year I twirled to the song rise up. Um, the, it's a very popular song. I'm sure you've heard it. Um, but that was the song I used for my talent routine. And, um, I think I'm going to use that again just because I feel like it speaks so much of what a lot of people struggle with. And, um, and so it's just, it's finding how to manage what I can manage, um, doing what I love and I love doing pageants. (laughs) And so, Mm -hmm. um, I don't like taking no for an answer and I don't like letting pots define me. And so, um, I try my best, you know, to get back into it. So I'm really excited for that in the next few weeks. Yeah, that's awesome. Your story is amazing. I'm glad you were able to share (laughs) that with us for sure. Yeah, Um, for sure. So I think we're going to kind of wrap things up, but um, for a last question, is there anything you would like to say to our listeners who may be patients to give them a message of hope? Yeah, um, I think the all in all is as cliche as it sounds, is just don't give up. I mean, um, I think the biggest thing you can do when you have POTS is reach out to other people that have POTS. I know that has been something that has helped me mm-hmm. because it is invisible. People don't see it and they don't see, you know, the struggle, although your family and your friends, they see it, um, but they don't know what it feels like. And so, um, reach out to people, you know, get involved with the POTS community and have those people that have um, POTS in your life that you can say, Oh, I get that. You know, when you wake up in the morning, you feel horrible. Mm -hmm. Um, have that person that you can go to that, you know, they, they get it and find that support system because, without my support group and without, um, you know, the support I have in my life and my family and my friends, um, you know, it'd be very, very hard to deal with it. Mm -hmm. But, um, there's always light at the end of the tunnel, no matter how hard it is. Um, and you know, God always has a plan. So I think just all in all, don't give up and find us, you know, support system, um, that encourages you to want to overcome it rather than just settle for you know living life with pots Mm -hmm. you know live your life with pots the way you want to live your life don't let pots let you live your life the way it wants you to live it so I think when I talk to people that have pots I've been very fortunate um because I love meeting new people and um especially now people with pots because Mm -hmm. if I can use my story um to help just you know save one person's life or help them manage their symptoms then you know I want to do that and so um you know, just reaching out and meeting new people with POTS has helped me more than, um, you know, anything I could have ever imagined. And so that would be my biggest advice is don't be afraid to share your story and reach out to those people and find that support group because it truly does make a difference when you battle it day by day. Thank you. And definitely, you know, talking to you and patients, um, other patients that have POTS or dysautonomia just makes my job so much better. And I'm working toward, you know, finding... I, I don't know, not a cure, but just spreading oh, yeah. education awareness. and awareness. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I know. It's, it's amazing what the Disarmament Project does. Like it, when I, people, not, true story, this just happened the other day. This happened on, what day, this happened Tuesday. Um, I went to go get my eyebrows waxed and mm-hmm. I um, just got the new Apple Watch. Um, which is absolutely amazing mm-hmm. and it does the whole heart rate thing and so the lady there was like oh you got the Apple watch like do you like it and I was like well I have a health condition and um, I was like and I wanted it for the heart rate like I don't even care about the whole technology that it does I just wanted right. it for the heart rate app and so we started talking and not even joking the lady started crying and she said you don't understand my daughter's going through everything that you just described oh my to me gosh. and um I was like oh my goodness like what a small world and um and so we just started talking and I told her my story just everything and um I told her about the dysautonomia project I was like I'm telling you right now <laughs> they have a book and they are the most encouraging and supportive group that you could I you know possibly imagine when you go through something like this and I was like whether or not 
it's POTS or whether or not it's something else. Um, I was like, they'll help you find those answers because everything she was saying was leading to POTS. I was like, I don't want to sit here and act like I know everything and try to diagnose your daughter, but you know, she's doing everything I did. And I was like, and I know how that was for me. I was like, so you need to reach out and look it up, do this and do that. And, um, and so I was literally just telling her the other day about the disarmament. This was Tuesday. I was just telling her on Tuesday about the disarmament project. And I was like, it's so crazy to me, um, to think like how my world's like done like a 360 now. (laughs) And, um, you know, just sitting here just telling people about it. So you guys do an absolutely amazing job. So Oh, thank yeah. you. And thank We're you for being you. such an advocate and spreading awareness and especially using your talents and platform to, you know, oh. spread the word. Um, and I know we really appreciate you doing this podcast with us mm-hmm. and hopefully it reaches a lot of people. Um, yeah, of course. And I hope they appreciate, you know, having a patient perspective mm-hmm. this time. You know, we've talked to like physicians or medical professionals in the past. So right. I'm really happy to be able to talk to you. Yeah, um, no, I love it. Thank you so much for allowing me. I like love you. I mean, if, like I said earlier, if I can use my story one time to just help one person, um, and then, you know, I'll do it. And so anything I can do to bring awareness to help change one person's life so they don't have to go through or become as severe as I was and um, I was I'm sorry then you know I'll do it so thank you so much like Mm -hmm. it means a lot so thank you thank you thank you Morgan is so strong and such an advocate for people living with POTS or dysautonomia it definitely helps that she's used to being in the spotlight so I'm so happy that she uses her talents and platform to raise awareness and share education about POTS and dysautonomia Absolutely. It was really interesting talking to her. She definitely um, taught me a lot and hearing her story really proves that it isn't just one kind of person that could have POTS and POTS can affect anyone and everyone. So let's move on to the four fast facts about dysautonomia. Starting with number one, um, POTS may follow a viral illness, a surgery, pregnancy, bed rest, or a severe trauma. Number two, fatigue is the most common symptom of POTS. Number three, a survey done by MyHeart.net resulted in cardiologists being the most common doctor to diagnose POTS over um, other types of doctors. And lastly, number four, there is no medical evidence that people with POTS are predisposed to anxiety or panic attacks. So let's move on and let's talk about New Year's resolutions and New Year's coming so quickly. And I usually don't make any of New Year's resolutions because I think they're so cliche. But this year, I feel like 2018 is the year to make one. So I'm going to stick with the cliche-ness of this ritual and make my resolution to make healthier choices when I have the chance. So instead of, you know, getting french fries or taking an elevator, I would get a side of fruit, side salad, or take the stairs when I have the chance. So do you have a New Year's resolution, Riley? You know, honestly, I have never made a New Year's resolution. Wow. So I don't really know. I haven't really thought about it, but I think I have a solid three days to um, get one together. So I am putting all my eggs in one basket there in that those three days. Well, I believe in you, and I encourage <laughs> all of you listening to make a New Year's resolution this year, whether it be something big or small, because, you know, every little thing is important, and dysautonomia, as well as New Year's resolutions, are a marathon and not a sprint. Absolutely. So if you follow us on social media, you may have already seen or in the tabloids, the news, on Facebook, Instagram, whatever, um, Solange Knowles, who is Beyonce's sister, was actually just diagnosed with an autonomic disorder. Mm. And we don't know what it is. We don't have much information yet um, if she has POTS or whatever. But we do know she has dysautonomia, so her autonomic system does not function properly. Um, But our thoughts and our prayers are definitely with her, and we hope that she finds great medical support um, to help her through her journey. And we just want to let her know that she's not alone, that there's plenty of people that are dealing with the same thing that she is. Um, We've posted on her Facebook and Twitter and Instagram as well just to try and reach out to her and let her know that. But if we can all just come together, I hope that with her platform, um, she can give a voice to patients with dysautonomia. I think it would really help launch, you know, the education and awareness around this terrible syndrome. For sure. All right. Well, we just want to thank um, everyone for listening. We hope you learned a lot today. Jillian and I learned a lot from our interview with Morgan. Remember to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Post your hashtag mugs up photo and tag at the Dysautonomia Project. 
And remember that if you'd like to make a donation to the Dysautonomia Project or purchase our book that is co-authored by our founder, Kelly Freeman, visit our website, www.thedysautonomiaproject.org. And again, thank you so much for listening. We'll chat with you again next year, a.k.a. the first week of January. So happy new year, everyone. Happy new year.